of Can You Dig It, a podcast by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. I am one of your hosts, Christian Rivas, here as always with Jacob Rood. Jacob? How did you, uh, it's it's good to have you back after our conversation last week. Did you enjoy that uh, <laughs> conversation on uh, comic book characters? I did, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, for for those that can't tell already just from the introduction that very clearly wasn't me <laughs> and if if you could tell i don't blame you because harrison didn't even make a modest attempt at trying to to mimic my voice which almost it offended me more that he didn't do that if he would have fully committed to when it, whenever anybody imitates me and my family or my friends they just like they kind of mumble and make their voice lower, which I would have been fine with. I wouldn't have been hurt at all. Uh, but he didn't, and I, I think that hurts me almost more. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that I could have done a whole podcast with Harrison pretending to sound like you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was hard enough, as is, because I had to have a giant uh, note on my computer screen to say, call him Christian, <laughs> so that I would remember. But... Yeah, I mean, quarantine got to us a little bit. We decided to have a little random fun and see who was paying attention. And I'm sure many people were very confused as to why Christian <laughs> sounded like Harrison last week. And we decided to just not tell anybody about that it was actually Harrison. Well, well, we'll have a different kind of random fun, if you can describe it uh, as that this week. It is What If Week at SB Nation, and I think... We've actually had some some good fun with this topic at at silverscreenandroll.com where you can find our work at. Um, I think Harrison did. What if the Chris Paul trade didn't get vetoed on Thursday, which I know is a touchy subject for a lot of Lakers fans. Mm. Uh, and then the day before, I touched on what if the Lakers trusted the process. And but I I think when when people read that. They think about like keeping some of the young guys and still landing LeBron James and Anthony Davis somehow. My process was keeping literally everybody they drafted since 2014, uh, including D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nash Jr., all of that. To my surprise, that roster, I also signed Brooke Lopez for personal reasons because I thought him and <laughs> him and Julius Randle were a, were a good fit together. Um that roster cost them $119.6 million under a $110 million salary cap. So I, I don't know about you, Jacob, but I don't think that the Lakers would have committed to that. And that was, mind you, before Brandon Ingram was due an extension. No, obviously they wouldn't have. That being <laughs> said, I mean, probably mainly for sentimental reasons, that roster looked fun. Like it was, it would have definitely been a playoff roster. Like we kind of talked about it, they were probably better than this year's Grizzlies. Yeah, and they definitely would have been like an eight seed this year. Um, 
I'm still really sad we never got to see Lonzo and D'Lo in the backcourt together. Um, I mean, if you just kind of assume the progression that a lot of these guys made past their Laker days and whatnot, like Clarkson's still a decent sixth man. I mean, Ingram was an all-star this year. Um, Julius has pretty much been what he is for the last couple of years. Zubats has been really help, really big on the Clippers this year. I mean, there's a lot of key pieces, but yeah, it, it still lacks like the punch and the star power. So it would have been like a decent roster, but they're not going to pay $120 million to be an eight seed. Absolutely not. But the thing I did take away is something you just touched on was that the Lakers have a lot of players with the, the, the players they drafted a lot of them are still in the NBA and are probably going to be in the NBA for a long time, which is more than you can say about a lot of teams and the players they drafted. Uh, most notably the Kings, dude. I was looking through their draft picks the other day. The Kings and the Suns just haven't panned out, and that is, that's really unfortunate. Um, we're going to talk about something a little different, though, still retrospective, but uh, today we're going to ask the question that I think a lot of people asked then and, and even to this day, what if the 2012-13 season ended differently than it did? For a little background, for those that forgot or just weren't as involved in basketball as they are today, the 2012-13 season was the season the Lakers put together a super team uh, by trading for Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, and pairing them with Kobe Bryant, Metal World Peace, and Pau Gasol. And on paper, that roster alone, like on paper alone, that roster was among the favorites to win the title. You had Mike D'Antoni to the mix, who coached Steve Nash in Phoenix and kind of revolutionized uh, the way basketball was played, at least on the offensive side. It was a good team, and a lot of a lot of people were excited for their trajectory and the the way this season would end. Could this be Kobe Bryant's, you know, one of his last shots at a NBA title? And for a moment, it looked like it. The season, the 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 team didn't mesh well right away by any means necessary. Jacob, you can that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> you can attest to this. Did not play particularly well and the the i think a big reason for their struggles though is the fact that steve nash wasn't healthy i think steve nash was a big part in running that mike d'antoni offense and he was just never available because of a chronic back injury he had i don't know what kind of like voodoo they did in phoenix with with his injuries, but they flared up as soon as he got to LA. But even in spite of that, Kobe Bryant at the age of 34 years old had one of his most efficient seasons that he's ever had. And this is pre small ball, but the, the game was definitely getting faster and Kobe Bryant was playing in a pick and roll heavy offense for the first time really in, in his career, at least a modern pick and roll offense, I should say. And he looked great in it. 27.3 points per game on 46.3% shooting from the field, 32.4% shooting from three, 
to go along with six assists, 5.6 rebounds, and 1.4 steals. Jacob, we hear a lot about how incredible LeBron James looks for his age, and I don't want to take any of that away from him. But, God, Kobe Bryant looked as good as he ever did in that season, too. This is um, my favorite Kobe Bryant season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a controversial take, but, uh, I mean, he obviously won MVP, won a lot of titles. Um, but this is my favorite season. The most fun I had watching Kobe was this season. Um Man, he was, the first half of the year, it seemed like, to a certain extent, he was just kind of playing along, um, doing what was asked of him. And there was kind of a turning point. I don't remember exactly when. I don't know if the stats would would really say, but um, I remember there was a players-only meeting in, in Memphis at one point. That was kind of the turning point for the season. But somewhere around, around there, Kobe just kind of said, screw it. I'm doing this myself. And as you said, he basically was just the point guard from then on. He ran the offense. He was the pick and roll guy. Um, So long as Dwight would actually run screens. I still have, (laughs) uh, I guess, nightmares or, or the image burned in my brain of Dwight slipping every screen. The worst thing about that, about that team apparently was that, Anton Jameson is like the best in NBA history at slipping screens for easy layups. And I guess Dwight saw that and thought, (laughs) Hey, that's really easy. Let me do that. And just routinely tried to slip the screen. It was frustrating to watch, but, um, that there were multiple games in the second half of that season that I absolutely love going back and watching um, there was a game against the, I think they were the New Orleans Hornets at the time, where the Lakers were on the road. They got down big, and they made a huge second-half push. Uh, Kobe was big in that. Jody Meeks hit a bunch of threes in that. Um, and then, obviously, the game's kind of toward the end. The Portland game, I remember, on the road vividly. Um, I mean, obviously, the Raptors game that yeah. is iconic now um there was a hawks game in there he played well it was just a lot of kobe saying like i'm putting this team on my back and we are not missing the playoffs so from that aspect i loved watching the team um in this season but man when we like when we were uh right before we were getting ready you asked if I had any notes and I said, no, because this season is just burned in my memory because (laughs) it was so frustrating to watch. Like there was just a bad omen from the start. They lost every preseason game. Um, Steve Nash gets hurt like first half of the second game of the season. And like at the time they're like, Oh, he'll only be out a week. And he missed like a month. And, um, Obviously, the whole Mike D'Antoni, Phil Jackson debacle, like everything about that season just could not have possibly went worse. Um, Man, it was so frustrating. It it was always this dichotomy because, like, on one hand, it was so much fun seeing Kobe still play at that level, like you said, with LeBron, how we've marveled at it. This was a – I can't remember exactly how old he would have been. um, 30-plus-year-old Kobe Bryant – 
as you said, having arguably his most efficient, 34-year-old Kobe having one of his most efficient seasons, um, but at the same time, like, he had to do that for the Lakers to even win these games and sneak into the playoffs. It was such a frustrating season. Yeah, and and it, the injuries were probably the most frustrating frustrating part of the season. The locker room drama, I think, you sort of expect with a team you try to build overnight, a contender you try to build overnight. That's what's kind of incredible about this year's Lakers team is that they did that same thing again. It's just LeBron James and Anthony Davis already had that rapport. A lot of guys had already played with each other. Danny Green and LeBron James for that one season with the Cavs. Obviously, Quinn Cook and JaVale McGee. Um, just a, it, There's a good synergy in that locker room, uh, but that was far from a given. The biggest injury that hit the team, though, was obviously Kobe Bryant's uh, Achilles tear against the Golden State Warriors with, I believe, only three games left in the season, which... Mm, yeah, that, there were two games after that, I believe. Is just absolutely crushing because as as we've said he was just playing out of his mind and i think i've said this on the show before and this idea of mine has only been solidified by watching the last dance the last dance documentary i don't think you have to agree that kobe bryant belongs in the greatest of all time debate and I don't think you have to agree that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. But I think you look at how hungry they were to win and what they were willing to do it. And it's just hard not to look at that and say, like, wow, that is the epitome of greatness and competitive spirit. I love that. I gravitate towards that. So for that reason, he is the greatest player of all time, in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying that. I just think you have to understand the logic there. If, if he's not the greatest player of all time, then Kobe Bryant was damn well one of the greatest competitors we've mm-hmm. ever seen in any sport ever. And that just shined through that season for me. I, I, I'm trying to think. I think it was episode seven, the one about MJ talking about him be as a teammate. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking during that montage, the quote Kobe had, I can't remember what the setting was. It was obviously some interview somewhere where he said, friendships come and go, but banners hang forever. Yeah. Which is like, uh, I mean, it's still funny to this day. And it's a kind of one of those quips that he always had that, uh, got a laugh. But I mean, when you think about it, that's exactly the mindset MJ had as well. Like, he didn't really care if you if he was friends with his teammates. He just cared that they played hard with him and got that team where it needed to be. Um, there's so many similarities, especially I thought in that episode with um, some of those practice rants and whatnot <laughs> that MJ was going on. I still remember the soft like Charmin um, clip and from Kobe. Um, which is about as edited as I can make that because that was a <laughs> hilarious, not safe for work clip. I'm sure everybody's seen it. Um, but it's stuff like that that makes me, it reminds me of uh, of Kobe and just 
as you said, objectively one of the greatest competitors um, in NBA history. I don't, I mean, the top rankings list are always so subjective and, and whatnot. I mean, Kobe's up there. That's all I ever really cared about. Yeah. And I know ESPN had theirs come out. I can't remember where they ranked him. And everybody was yelling about everything, but um, he's in the discussion. That's all I ever cared about. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I knew what he meant to me and what he meant to the Lakers and how important he was there. And that's what matters more than where he ranks him. Uh, exactly among the all-time greats. To piggyback on your point about Kobe Bryant being a little mouthy at practice, Jeremy Lin had a great story on the Inside the Green Room podcast on Thursday. I'm going to read the quote here. Uh, it Obviously, it's not the same season from the 2012-13 season. I just think it's a good story to tell, so I'm going to tell it. Uh, so here's the quote from Jeremy Lin. They weren't very good that season. I feel like that context is important because <laughs> otherwise Kobe just sounds like a bad teammate. Um, he says, I remember at this time he had gotten hurt and he was out for the season. So he wasn't around for quite some time, just rehabbing and being away from the team and stuff. And then all of a sudden, after we hadn't seen him and seen him in a few weeks, he walks in the gym. And this is the day before the trade deadline. And we're all, all about to start practice. We're stretching, doing our dynamic warm up or whatever. And then he comes in, sweatshirt. He has a sling for his hurt shoulder. He has his slides on, his Kobe shades. And he walks in, and everyone's like, oh. And Booze, Carlos Boozer, is like, Cope, Cope, good to see you, bro. Dang, we haven't seen you in a bit. How come you came today? And he was just stone faced. And he was like, I just came by to say bye to some of you bums who are getting traded tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And then he sits down at the table where you control the scoreboard at the practice facility. And he said a couple words to coach and then he left. And I remember one of my teammates was just like, I lost all motivation to practice. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a, such a Kobe story in Kobe's offense. There were some bums on that team. And in fact, they were so bummy that I don't think the Lakers could have made a trade for any of those players if they tried, which is probably why they didn't make a trade. So I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was a good story to tell. Uh, but back to the sad stuff. Um, or actually, you know what? The So the question I'm asking, the what if, is what if Steve Nash and Kobe Bryant never get hurt. Because Steve Nash is the other injury that just completely derailed that season because with the amount of assets and money they had devoted to that, to between Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, and Dwight Howard, their depth wasn't the best, and that was especially true of the point guard position. Uh, So both of those guys... Don't get hurt. How do you think this season goes within the context that these guys just didn't gel right away, but they caught their wind towards the end of the season? It's interesting to kind of consider because does Mike Brown still get fired at some point in the season? Like it, it seemed like the Princeton offense he was trying to run just wasn't going to work with the roster they had. Um, so 
even if they're healthy, I mean, like we said, they were healthy and they lost all eight games of the uh, preseason. Um, I know the first two games, at least the first game of the regular season, yeah, the first three games of the regular season. So they lost 11 straight games to open the year, even mostly healthy. Um, although I guess it should probably be said that Dwight did come back early from his back surgery. I yeah. don't know how early it was, but so as healthy as they could be, I guess. Um, I would imagine Mike Brown's still fired at some point. Um if they're fully healthy, I don't know if that changes. I don't think that would have changed how they handled the Mike D'Antoni, Phil Jackson thing. So um, I guess you still assume Mike D'Antoni comes in. Um, a fully healthy Steve Nash running Mike D'Antoni's offense is really intriguing. Um, you would imagine that they would have clicked quicker. Um, and especially because Steve Nash had run that offense. Even then, though, I mean, it was still a lot of kind of square pegs and a round hole. Powell never really fit. Yeah. Um, the two bigs never really would have worked in Mike D'Antoni's system, and those two butted heads because Mike D'Antoni wanted Powell shooting threes, basically, which in hindsight was the right call, even if myself included and a lot of us were mad at Mike D'Antoni for yelling at Powell <laughs> in that time. Um, so I guess the, they would have been better simply because of health and they were a talented team that would have just simply won more games, but I really don't know how much better they could have been because it was just a, a flawed roster looking back in hindsight and especially in that in the offense that Mike D'Antoni would have run. Like, ironically, it probably would have been a really good team in the triangle. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so I, if you bring Phil Jackson in, my, my answer is probably a lot different, but I don't see why that would have changed. So um, if Mike D'Antoni's there, I mean, they're definitely better. I can't remember how many games they won, 44, 42, somewhere around there. Um they, oh, 45 and 37. I would say they might get flirt with 50 wins, but it would have been a, a it would have probably played out a lot like it did with just a really strong second half as they kind of figured things out in the first half. I think that's a fair assessment. The thing that interests me is if so, say they win a few more games. I don't know if the Lakers even at full strength are as good as some of the teams in the top half of the Western conference at the time. So let's just say they end with 47, 50 wins. Golden State Warriors gotten to, or were the succeed with 47 wins in the 2012, 13 season. That means the Lakers would have faced off with the Denver Nuggets in the first round. Um, I don't know if with D'Antoni in that at, at the helm, I don't know if they would have been able to go toe to toe with a lot of these teams who, again, at the time were just really good teams. And the other thing to, to your point about Phil Jackson, I want to go back to that for a little bit. I don't know if, 
Kobe Bryant plays the hero ball that a lot of people think led to his Achilles injury with Phil Jackson as the head coach. Oh, yeah. I don't think so at all. I think a lot of it was a respect thing. Um, Not that he necessarily disrespected uh, or didn't respect D'Antoni. It's just that he respected Phil so much that um, he would have bought in more. Um, He would have played, like you said, less hero ball. I mean, the triangle in itself is not a hero ball scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more kind of democratic. Everybody gets the ball and you find the open guy. Um, So just that alone, just the way the team would have played would have been, it wouldn't have required uh, Kobe to play as much hero ball. It'd be interesting because it would have been a lot different a season for Powell as well. I mean, he had injuries as well, but um, that was probably the worst Powell ever played in a Lakers jersey that season. I think he was benched at one point. Um, Like I said, him and Mike D'Antoni were butting heads pretty much the whole season. He averaged 13 points and eight rebounds in 49 games. Um, He would have probably played a, a whole lot better at least statistically, um, taking a lot of the scoring and the minutes and the usage away from Kobe. So maybe it probably would have saved a lot of the strain on Kobe's body um, that led to him getting hurt. I, I don't know if – it's hard to say that the amount of minutes Kobe was putting on his body didn't play a factor, even if yeah. o- others say it didn't. Um, he was putting so much, so many minutes on his body at the end of the season um, that uh, that absolutely had to have some effect. So if he's playing less minutes, less hero ball, um, you would think that would help. I, I just think in general this team would have been a great triangle team. And, um, I mean, if you put Phil Jackson there with Kobe and Powell, having obviously played in the triangle, um, kind of leading the way, I I think that it's a team that could win over 50 games because, I mean, Steve Nash is a smart player. You have guys, Meta was on that team too, I think. Um, Yeah. He obviously played in the triangle. Steve Blake, I don't know if he was there when, I don't think he was there when Phil was there, but, I mean, guys like Steve Blake, Anton Jameson were smart veterans that, that could have grasped it real quick. So, um, I think with Phil Jackson, that season plays out a whole lot different. I completely agree, but I do want to go back on a statement right now on the record because the, the Nuggets team I was thinking of is not the Nuggets team the Lakers would have placed, faced in the first round. And I actually feel pretty good about their chances because that team, the fourth seed in the Western Conference, uh, that season, or sorry, the third seed ahead of the Clippers was uh, J- Jacob. Before I say anything, do you do you know who was on this team? I'm trying to think, I think that was the Nuggets team that the Lakers had played maybe the year prior in the playoffs. So um, I remember Javale was there. Yeah, Gallinari probably would have still been there. Mm-hmm. Um. I assume Andre Miller was still there. Yes. 
was Iguodala there yet? Yeah, you have a better memory than I do. <laughs> but other than that, I can't remember. Ty Lawson. Oh my God, I forgot about him. The leading, the Nuggets' leading scorer with 16.7 points per game. Uh, nobody on the team averaged tw- more than, or sorry, yeah, more than 20 points per game. Uh, Corey Brewer was on the team. Oh, my God. Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Reed, the Manimal, Costa Kufis, Evan Fournier, Timothy Mozgov. It, it's just, I, I don't a know. It's hodgepodge I mean, of a team. <laughs> I don't know how they were the third seed, uh, but they lost in the first round to the Golden State Warriors, I guess a sign of things to come. Oh, so, yeah, yeah I, feel, I remember that now. I actually feel... Uh, not too shabby about the Lakers chances in, in the first round. But my point is they definitely had a ceiling with the team they had, even if things went well with the coach they had in place, uh, with the relationships in the locker room. I don't know if they would have won a championship, but I feel like it would have been less of a letdown, obviously, uh, because I, I was just absolutely crushed the day Kobe Bryant ruptured his Achilles. Uh-huh. Just because up to that point, whether it was true or not, I had talked myself into the idea that Kobe's going to do it again. He is going to will this team to the finals and they're going to beat whoever is in their way, whether it's the Spurs or the Heat at the at the very end. He's just going to do it because that's what he does. And that's what he's done for the past 20 or so games with this team. Um, again, whether or not it would have happened, that's what I believed. And to see that, see that glimmer of hope just go away was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but with all this being said, the other question I have with you is assuming Steve Nash and Kobe Bryant don't get hurt, they make a run at a playoff spot when a playoff series in the first round against the Nuggets. Does that change what Dwight Howard does in the offseason? Or is his relationship with Kobe Bryant so fractured that he leaves anyway? It's kind of when, uh, when looking back at that season, it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Was in regards to Kobe and Dwight's relationship, like was it so bad because the season was going so poorly or... Did the season going poorly make the relationship bad? Um, I mean, obviously, winning solves everything. Um, if they're winning, and I'm trying to think. I know one of Dwight's um, kind of demands was that, I'm pretty sure was that Phil Jackson be the coach um, during free agency, or at least one of his rumored demands so, I mean, that probably um, helps things. I mean, if you, I think you could pretty easily talk him and yourself into come back, have another year in the triangle offense, and we'll perfect it more and we'll be better next season. Um, it would just be how much Kobe hated playing with Dwight, I guess, which, I, I mean, really, it couldn't have been all that much because Kobe was still in the pitch meeting. I mean, to what effect he had in 
selling the Lakers to Dwight in that meeting and whether it helped more than it hurt um, is to be determined. But, I mean, Kobe still wanted to try with Dwight. So um, I think Dwight would have probably come back if Phil Jackson's in charge. They win a playoff series. Um, because, again, you can talk yourself into um, a healthy Kobe and a healthy Dwight even if Powell and Nash are, are old and aging, um, a healthy Kobe and Dwight is still a formidable duo and something you can still build around. And um, with Phil Jackson there, it has a lot different feel than with Mike D'Antoni there and a beaten down physically Steve Nash and a beaten down mentally Pau Gasol. So, I mean, surprisingly, I, I think, Dwight probably would have come back in that scenario if that scenario unfolded. Say he doesn't come back though. I would. I mean, in hindsight, I, that would have been a good thing. <laughs> Say he doesn't come back. Is a core of Steve Nash and Kobe Bryant enough to lure free agents to play in LA still? Mm, I mean, I don't know what their cap sheet looked like. I, um, so I don't really know what, how many or what types of guys they could have gotten, but, um, I mean, you could get some veterans, I think, because that's obviously a win now core. No, oh, and Powell's still on the team. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Um, it's more of a win now core. Um, I don't know though. I don't know how many guys, kind of in their prime type of free agents are going to want to sign up to play with a core that would have been as old as that one was. Kobe was 34. Nash was 38 that season. Powell was 32. Um, so I don't think you're going to get many big names, but I think you could see them landing some, some more veteran types. Um, to come in and try to make a push for a title. But I think they were so old at that point that I would be surprised if many kind of big name free agents would want to come with that team. We're going to take a quick little break and then we're going to talk about uh, the only other scenario I could muster up. So <laughs> that will be, uh, we'll be back with that. So we, we did the what if of what of all what ifs which is what if Kobe Bryant never got hurt? I think obviously that changes a lot of things, but as we talk through it, it ultimately wasn't the difference between Kobe getting number 17 uh, and, and Dwight staying the second scenario I'm going to present to you, I think is a little more interesting uh, in terms of future outlook on the team. And that's what if things happened exactly as they did but Dwight Howard resigned anyway <laughs> uh, again in hindsight it's probably not a move we wanted to to make um, I mean if everything plays out the same and Dwight comes back I would bet that offseason they would look pretty hard at trading Powell um, I'd I mean, obviously, Powell and Mike D'Antoni were not getting along. Um, if they're going to commit to Mike D'Antoni's offense, you're not going to be able to play Powell and Dwight Howard together. 
Um, I mean, you saw once Dwight left that Powell was pretty much played as a center, um, which suited him a lot more. So I think they actually probably would have looked pretty hard at trading Powell, um, which definitely would have angered Kobe. Um, (laughs) We saw how mad he got when they traded Steve Blake, of all people. Um, I think they would have shot Powell pretty hard. And at 32 years old, I mean, he was still productive. We saw in the years that followed, um, he could contribute to a winning team. So it'd be interesting to see what they could have gotten back or what they would have sought back if they would have looked for to recoup some of the draft assets that they gave up in Dwight and Nash trades, or if they would have looked for a piece that could help them win now. Um, I think that would be the first big domino to fall there, that if they commit to Dwight, I don't really see a way where Dwight and Powell stay around um, really for much more than a season. Maybe they wait with Powell and try for half a season, but I don't think that would have worked in D'Antoni's system. Um, it'd be interesting to think, though. I mean, if is a Dwight in his that's in his prime with a a hurt Kobe and whatnot, is that enough to attract a uh, a big time free agent to Los Angeles? Probably not. And I think what they'd have to do at that point is either okay. So let me let me get my thoughts in order first. I think the benefit of signing Dwight Howard, even in hindsight, is this. Kobe Bryant obviously doesn't come back himself at all. He is a shell of himself by the time he returns. Say Steve Nash is also what he was after, which was, I think, playing in less than 40 games. And 40 even seems like a high number. Yeah, I'd be surprised if it was that many. After that season, Pau Gasol and Dwight Howard managed to win 30-something-odd games for the next two seasons. At a certain point, once it became clear that Steve Nash was done and Kobe Bryant was on his last leg, I think the Lakers would have considered trading Pau and Dwight just for assets for a rebuild, because you have to remember, even though it was it wasn't anything in hindsight, like the Dwight trade ultimately cost the Lakers, I think, like two second round picks. Uh, the Steve Nash they got trade was exceedingly lucky with that yeah. too. <laughs> uh, and then the Suns trade, I believe, only cost them Zaire Smith. I want to say, which. Mm-hmm. 